Well, hello, friends. Thanks again for joining us for the Tribe Exchange. Uh, we are launching a special series. It's kind of a short run of uh, conversations around the unhurried life. And specifically, we're going to be talking about the practice of Sabbath. It's something that we've been discussing here locally in Austin in our congregation, and we thought it would just be a great conversation to bring to you in uh, the Tribe Exchange. So uh, the way we're going to do this is we're going to have kind of a talking heads and a bit of an interview piece with Christian. He's kicked off our, our series here, and uh, he'll go into his story, but Christian's been practicing uh, Sabbath for a little bit more than a decade. And he's got a lot of insight and uh, experience with that that uh, hopefully will encourage you in your journey and your exploration as well. So with that, uh, welcome, Christian. Good to see you. Thank, thank you, Elias. Yes, it's good to be yeah, here. Yeah, as always. Um, do you want to just talk maybe just for a minute about kind of the motivation that that even getting this series started? You know, I know it's something that you've practiced, but maybe not something that we brought to the whole community uh, here in Austin in terms of our church. So do you want to just speak a little bit to that of why why the unhurried life and why bring this up? Well, for me, basically, the way it started a little bit over a decade ago is that I I love to work. Um, so I'm not a lazy person in a sense. So it's not really my struggle. My struggle is to not to work too much. And uh, I'm an entrepreneurial guy. So I usually have several projects going on at the same time. Most of the time, I should probably be dropping at least one or two of those projects uh, if I want to stay sane. But that's sort of my natural bend. Yeah. Um, so at, at a certain point, I just realized that my, my lifestyle in my natural bend is not helping me in the long run on a variety of levels. So one of them was just presence uh, with my family. You know, it was, so I was in my you know, early 40s or something like that. And it was my kids were amazing and beautiful. I have three beautiful daughters and I wanted to be around them and I wanted to be present with them not just see them, you know, every once in a while, after school, before school, that sort of thing. Uh, I love my wife. I wanted to have a, an, a, a life that is integrated with her life. Um, even the work that I was doing, I, was, I wanted to do better work, yeah, deeper work, more creative work. And what I realized eventually is that there's, there is a ceiling that you can hit by just working hard uh, that actually prevents you from working well. There's a point of like you know? diminishing returns, essentially. Precisely. Yeah. yeah, precisely. So that was that's sort of what I that's what I, I hit sort of this wall of. I want to do better, deeper work, more creative, more innovative work. Yeah. And I think and think how I live is preventing me from doing that. Right. I want to be with my family and how I live is preventing me from doing that. I want to be present with my friends and have deep relationships and my lifestyle is preventing me. From yeah. doing that. I mean, it's essentially the the adage that your your system is set up perfectly to give you the results you're experiencing, right? And so it's a it, there's Mind an awareness was, that yes. comes, right? Like you had to kind of recognize I'm I'm having some results. And maybe there's good results in the work area, the vocation stuff, but there's some other results that are not good. Yes. Right? The, how it's impacting your family. Can you speak a little bit more to even what what were some of those internal results that you were feeling? Um, maybe internal tensions that were happening. Like, I get the like the the family thing, but what was happening on the inside for you? I was just not. For example, if you work hard, you will for sure achieve more, right? Yeah. 
So I was working really hard and I was doing two or three things at the same time as I always do. But the feeling that you want the, of, of, of fullness um, was not there, right? So, so you what can was get there. What, if, what was there? It was fullness. What was there? I think it was it was an over, overwhelming sense of this is not enough, uh, you know, uh, and lack of fullness. Like it, there's there's a there's an appetite for an, ah, all this good, right? Right. And and I think what happens is when you, when you have unbalanced, um, unintegrated life is that that. Ah, all this good is just beyond the horizon. Yes. It's kind of like things will slow down after this week. And you tell yourself yeah. that every week, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, I think that's something that, I mean, I certainly can relate to. As many of my peers and friends, I think we've, you know, we've all talked about this on some level, that, that internal, you know, discontent at times while working and having very full lives. It's not, it's not a discontent that comes from boredom, right? It's kind of the opposite. It's a discontent that comes from overwork. And, um, and there's this kind of this pursuit that you're talking about of, I think what the Bible would call shalom, right? This peace that's somewhere ahead. If you can just get enough, if you can knock enough things off the to-do list, if you can just get ahead in the work projects or whatever it is, then yeah. shalom um, and yet it's kind of becomes this moving target that you're always chasing. Do you, why do you think that is kind of the mode for Western thinkers? And I, I know it's, you know, everybody works hard, and but look, I, I've experienced enough other cultures and had enough friends who come from other places, other origin cultures, and that's not their mode often of their relationship to work. So why do you think that is? Why is it that we tend to have this kind of repeated pattern of overworking and here in the West. Well, I think, and I think the, the West is a big sort of, it's a big place. So I think there's a variety of, of cultures, subcultures, but generally speaking, when we keep, keep speak to about the West, we speak about sort of this very um, like the, the wealthy countries, the high, achievement countries that create essentially a, a, a lifestyle of prosperity which is really 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 good actually yeah. it's a great byproduct of working hard uh, but also we are unbalanced a lot of the time right so the american the american lifestyle specifically you know is is one of those I, i've lived on four different countries four different continents okay yeah this is my fourth continent sixth country yeah, this is by the American work culture is by far the least healthy work culture I've ever lived in by far. Mm. Uh, and I wish I could say that because of the countries that I've lived in and the cultures that I've been in, you know, I look at this with a critical eye of something, somebody more enlightened, more balanced. But I'm actually not that way at all. I'm way more American. Yeah, actually, in my work culture than many Americans to be, to be quite honest. Right. So, so I'm very, very American when it comes to, uh, to work culture, um, in, in the, in the good ways and in the bad ways as well. So do you think that that's, there's, there's kind of a promise held out in the American culture for the hard driving workaholic, you know, like self-starter, there's this ideal, this promise that's held out for that kind of person. Partially, yes. 
Partially. Maybe like in the meta, right? Like a meta yeah. promise. It's not something that's like, it's not well, find you, it in the constitution, if, but it's, it's there kind of in our psyche. Partially, yes, because if you read, and I really truly believe this is true. I mean, there's a very popular book and sort of uh, concept of the Protestant work ethic, mm-hmm. which is sort of the seed, the cultural seed that was planted in America in a very unique way by Protestants. Um, that sort of created sort of you perpetuate it's like a ripple effect of culture where you do things and think certain ways uh, just because right you think it's just the way it is but actually you're a product of your culture so there's a lot of conditioning in but what we forget as well is that the 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 protestant work ethic you know the the puritans that came to america early on who sort of laid the foundation of this country was actually a much more balanced work ethic because there was sabbath rest was in it yeah so it's it was, it was work hard and then rest well right um, it was much more balanced and i think we've lost a lot of that in our culture so we kept the drive but we've lost the balance of the rest the counterbalance of the rest now on top of that i think a huge cultural influence is a culture of consumerism that was designed yeah perpetuated uh, driven by certain forces way way later so it's this is relatively recent right so you know like i'm going to read some stats to you which produced the the product of that is that we um 90 percent of us checked our phones f- first upon waking up and i'm one of them okay right. and and i don't know what it is but i love checking my phone okay yeah. um 37 of us take fewer than seven days of vacation a year it's shocking, right? Even for me, like, you know, I lived in Europe for a long time. A month is a minimum in the summer. That's just normal, right? Yeah. <laughs> it is almost impossible to bring that up as, an, as, a, as a concept. That almost States feels like sacrilegious, I think. Like, yeah. In my mind, yeah. it's like, How dare you? take a month at a time? Like, a what, yeah. what do you yeah, get done? How are you productive? You know, like a month? Exactly. Off, you know? Exactly, right? So 14% uh, of Americans take more than uh, two weeks a year. A year. Oh, 14%. That's it, huh? Only 14%. 20% of us stay in touch with the, with the office while on vacation, right? Um, I mean, the, the, the numbers and the stats, you can look them up. They're very easy to find. But we work 137 more hours a year than the Japanese, and that Japanese are widely known for sort of a, a very intense work ethic, yeah. let's put it that way, yeah. right? I mean, they even have a word, karoshi, which means death by work. I mean, right. if a culture has a word that says death by work, that culture is a hardworking culture, right? Yeah, and I've, we I've, are seen, more... like, I've seen articles where they, the, the, you know, they'll show a picture of a guy who's, who died on the subway, like just yeah, worked himself exactly. to death and just a younger yeah. guy. Yeah, died of heart failure on the subway on his way home after another long day, kind of a thing. Exactly. So the Japanese culture has a reputation for that, but where we work on average, statistically, we're number one, baby. Number one, right in the world, <laughs> uh, and not in a good way, unfortunately. Yeah, so. not in a good way. Yeah. Wow. You know, well, I, you know, it's interesting. I think that there is um, something, maybe even to be said about kind of our historical shift in America from like an agricultural country to this, you know, the, the industrial boom and we moved into the cities and something about that became kind of uh, like in the mythology of America, moving into the city and making something of yourself through just hard work, sweat, tears, like networking and grinding it out just kind of became the, yeah. the guy, 
Like that's the guy who you want to be, right? Like those are the people that are really in the ring, duking it out for the American dream. And, um, and yet in America, right? Like we also know the other stats of skyrocketing rates of anxiety and depression and broken families and medications and, um, the downsides. So of there's, this. there's something fundamentally yeah. off, right? I mean, that that's is that is that is quite clear. Yeah, right? something we've we've lost something on our journey. Okay, that, so let's, that, let me that ask even you. made us who we are in the first place. I think, right? As a man, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So let me ask you this: for those who are listening, and they're going, okay, I kind of, I think I resonate with a little bit of that. I recognize the 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 water I'm swimming in and the cultural influence even on my life. How do we, how do we know, how do, how do people listening to this know they may need to take a Sabbath? Like they may need to begin to adjust some of their work, rest, balance. Okay. So I'll give you a few bullet points, but you can yeah. derive other things from it. Right. Yeah. So uh, let, let's, let's go from sort of in concentric circles. If you don't have a, don't have, you don't, if you don't sleep well, Right. Uh, you may need a Sabbath. If you are, you've accepted anxiety as a baseline, like mm. this is just how it it's is. Just how it is, yeah. You know, uh, you might need a, a Sabbath practice. Um, if you talk about your family, if you are living, if you're married and you, the last time you go in on a date with your wife and did something that unifies you, connects you with her and vice versa with your husband, uh, you've been on a date maybe a month ago or three months ago. You haven't gone on a date in, in months or weeks, right? Uh, you may need a Sabbath because your, your marriage is already suffering. Right? Uh, if you have a parallel life with your kids where they, you don't experience things together on a daily basis, not on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, um, you definitely need to rethink the way you operate. Um, you worry about money, even though you make a good living. You live in America, you're already on the one, top 1% 1 of the world. Right. So even if you're middle-class American, you're making more money than most people on the planet, and you wake up in the middle of the night concerned about money, mm -hmm. right? There's something off balance there because you're objectively well-off. Yeah. Right? Um, well, I think you just... So the list goes on and on. You just described, you know, all of us. <laughs> So. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. You know, I, I, one of the things you said there, though, I think I'd love to just hear you unpack a little bit was, you know, being present with your family. And you talked a little bit about that personally for you. And I, I don't think what you mean is just in proximity, right? Like right. that you were just physically mm -hmm. there. But can you speak a little bit more to what that means, that idea? Because I would hate for people to hear like, oh, I'm around my family. I take my kids to practice or I'm around them, yeah. you know, but I don't think that's what you mean, right? Like, what's the difference there of that present with your with the people that you love? It means you're all of you is is present, not mm. just part of you, you're not not your body. Right. You know, and your smile and your head, but your 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 thoughts, your heart, your emotions, your attention. So you're not your, living in two places at one time. You're you're correct. You're yeah. not on your phone and in, you know, in work mode, checking right. email. You're, you're there. You're there with your, you're family. there. Yeah. You're there. And it's, it's, it's a, it's presence. You know, I, I, I tell the story all the time, but uh, after in, engaging in sort of rebalancing my life through a Sabbath, Deb and I would take the kids every week. So uh, to, to a place on the beach and we, we would just rest and be there. So one of those one of those trips, we went to Santa Barbara. We lived in, in California at the time. 
and we're on the beach and I, and I remember distinctly the moment where I turned to her and I said, honey, I'm here. Hmm. And she goes, and she didn't understand what I meant, obviously, because I meant presence and I didn't describe yeah, it. Yeah, I, I see you. Just, like, I'm here. I see you. Yeah. And she goes, well, I know that. And, and I said, no, no, you don't understand. I am fully here. My heart is here. My attention is here. I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm not thinking about a to-do list, about the things that I need to achieve, the things that I'm behind on. I am delighting in this moment in you and the children in this place. I am full of joy right here, right now. And it was such a novel breakthrough state of being that I had to tell somebody, you know, although it sort of sounded a little crazy, but I had to tell her there's been a shift, a tectonic shift in the way I am. And how long into practicing Sabbath do you say, would you say it took to get to that space? <laughs> like how long? Probably about a, at that point. Probably about a year. Yeah. <laughs> <It took a while. laughs> but that's good to hear, like just from an expectation standpoint, right? That there's an oh, adjustment yeah. period, right? Like this is not just a, a, a hard shift and suddenly you're experiencing shalom so easily and but there's almost yeah. like a detox that has to happen, right? Like, it takes oh, it's time. with it was. It feels at the very beginning, at least to me, I might be weird, and I think I am. It feels like withdrawal from a drug. Yeah, that's what it feels like. Yeah, like it literally. When I said, "Okay, I think you know, my dependence on checking my email is definitely doesn't have a place in the Sabbath in the rest." Um, it's pain. It's emotionally painful to not check my email. That was sort of the beginning of the journey or right. emotionally painful to not get something done sort of to, because, you know, you rationalize everything. Well, you know, it is really important. This sort of trumps everything else. And I need to get this hour of work done. Right. Sort of in the middle, you know, it's Sabbath ish. Right. You know, Sabbath ish. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of resting. So, I'm not at work, yeah, but rest, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's really painful, right? And and that's when you be. Mm-hmm. But the the good part of of experiencing that is you finally real realize that you are an idolatrous person, that you idolize work and productivity, and your worth is somehow your sense of self worth is connected to what you do and what you do and how you do it and how much you do of it. Right. So there's almost uh, like so an identity sl- crisis. Like, there's almost yeah. an identity crisis that happens when you stop letting your productivity be the paramount thing of your identity. Exactly. Right? It is freaky and scary. And, and everything convicting. in you is, it sounds like everything in you is wanting to grab back onto that identity. Like, yeah, because that's what, you know, right. It's easy. You, you, you get very predictable outcomes Right. When your joy sort of or, or sense of self-worth is connected directly to what you do, you have full control. Right. Well, the problem is that you won't achieve the shalom. You won't achieve the fullness right. if you're in charge. So it's really a fake type of value, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of living deceiving. under the lie that you, you are what you produce. And I even think about the Old mm-hmm. Testament and, you know, God really trying to reinstitute this rhythm of uh, rest and Sabbath was with Israel who are coming out of 400 years of being basically like, you know, work engines. They're, they're the slaves of Egypt. They are, they are the production machines of Egypt. You know, it's kind of the, the more mm-hmm. bricks, less straw mentality. Like I have, to, I am what I produce and God is going like, 
No, you're, you're not what you produce. You, that's not who you are fundamentally. You, you're, you're made to rest, to be with me, uh, to, to have peace that only I can bring. Yeah. And the scary part is that when we look at stories, let's say from the Old Testament, they're so over the top, black and white mythology. Right. You know, um, they're sort of archist stories, right? Yeah. These are the stories where um, there's archetypes in people, in nations, in state, ways of being. But there is no difference between a, a person who has grown up in a culture where your value is determined by how many bricks you produce and a, and a culture in a person who is deeply convinced that their value and their worth are determined by their professional achievements, uh, money, the bank, possessions. There is no difference. Fundamentally, there is no difference. Yeah. That's the thing. So, so that's why it, you can bridge... You can bridge that gap through understanding there is no fundamental difference between those two things. Therefore, it is, it is imperative for my success as a human being, for my flourishing, to understand the core ideas behind these things. Right. Yeah, and, and to it sounds like to really intentionally put in some barriers to, to harness some of those subconscious drivers that want to that want to be, you know, a person who produces, a person whose worth is in production. That you Sabbath kind of becomes this boundary yeah. line that you set up to to reorder some of your not just your rhythm of life, but some of those subconscious drivers, those desires. And I guess that would be my mm -hmm. question next: was like how, as you've practiced this, what how has it helped reorder some of your own desires and your own um, longings in the practice of Sabbath? Like well, on a few levels, yeah. um, I think you crave, I think you crave, you, you understand and clarify what makes you full and whole. Hmm. And that's a massive, massive uh, shift uh, because you understand the source of, of life and joy and prosperity in the fullest sense of the word, of the word, right? Um, so you are now reoriented, A, for, an, for shalom as a, as a lifestyle. You are, the way you are as a spouse and as a parent changes fundamentally because, because you, you embrace the, 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 the place of family in your life and your role in the family with so much more depth and clarity. And that produces indescribable, honestly, joy, connection, friendship. You know, my children are wonderfully wonderful and talented and gifted and different. And part of the reason, um, besides sort of their natural bent of being a certain way, is that we have been this joyful family for for over a decade. And our dynamics are have, we have an integrated life together, and that has had a right. deep impact on who they became, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't, like, you can't buy that. Like, this is not luck either, right? Um, so, and I think professionally as well, you do better and deeper work because, uh, you know, a, a period, an unhurried life helps creativity. Creative yeah. is actually the most valuable work 
you can do is creative work, right? And I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter if you're an accountant, an engineer, or, you know, a security guard, creative work is still creative work within, within your profession. You can do creative, deeper, more meaningful work. Therefore, you're actually more successful as a professional. Sure. If, if you have a more balanced, unhurried life. Like so. you're experiencing more, but when you say creative work, I think what you're speaking to is the those flow states, those flow moments that actually only come when you're doing nothing, right? Like when you're doing exactly. something mundane that doesn't require yeah. a lot of engagement. Like you, you know, you're yeah. in a shower, and all of a sudden, this brilliant idea comes to you, right? Like mm -hmm. it's it's having a space where you 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 have a full day of of kind of that flow space where there isn't to dos, there isn't a you're not backed up next thing to the next thing. You have time for your mind to wander and dream and. <laughs> In the same way, you know, in the same way that a culture produces a word, um, you know, for death by work, you know, um, it's fascinating that you understand that culture produces other words, other cultures produce other words. So the Italians, not surprisingly, um, have a, a term, dolce far niente, dolce far niente. And dolce far niente is the sweetness of doing nothing, the sweetness of doing nothing. And if a culture embraces that, that doing nothing is actually sweet. Right. How, how, what kind of different conditioning will you have? Right. Yeah. And, and now I think about it now, if like, I haven't really explored this, but I can imagine going, there's probably a reason why Italians produce beautiful clothes and like, yeah. and a little bit more and cars. Are, yeah. Yeah. And cars are not just functional, but artistic, right? Yeah. They're, they're beautiful to behold, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so much more stuff that I can, I, I, like and some really food, delicious food, some really delicious food that is yes. also simple. You know, I just, you know, I was in Florence, maybe like three years, right before COVID hit, actually. And Deb and I, and I ordered like a pasta dish in Florence. And it was just a simple pasta dish. And yeah. I seriously had a religious experience. Yeah, it changed your and life. I, go, I get it. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. I go, and I, and I was talking to my wife and I was going, how is this possible? This is, this is wheat, eggs, probably some cream and some herbs. How, right. I don't understand how they can do this, right? Because anybody can combine those things into a dish of into a pasta dish, but somehow, somehow they managed to, to create the perfect pasta, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it has to it, it it has to have something to do with the way they live, the way they view the world, yes. right? Well, that makes me think too of this, you know, Robert Mulholland. He he's not talking about Sabbath. He's talking a little bit more about silence and solitude, I think, but he gives this idea of, he, he says, just wasting time with God. Like the mm -hmm. idea of like, just, just go waste some time with God. Like go have, have nothing to do with God. Like go, go yeah. enjoy the presence and the, the space of just being with God. There's nothing to do, nothing to, to achieve, nothing to accomplish. Just go, Waste some time with God. And when I, I don't know, when I hear that phrase, I think of like, for me, I want to go waste time with Rachel. Like I want to go on vacation with Rachel and not having, like there's a longing to be together. And, um, and I think that's the, that's the idea behind Sabbath is this, it's a, it's a, a, a longing to be with God, a space of intimate connection with, with nothing pressing to do, right? I think you're right. And that's the sweet life. That's the sweet life. It's the sweet life. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, let's make this a little bit more practical. Uh, and, and I want to ask two questions. And the first is, um, 
what is like an actual Sabbath look like for you in a, in a day or in a 24 hour period? And then I'd love for you to answer kind of how any advice for people to get started uh, in this practice if they're exploring it. So for me, it starts on Friday night. So this is sort of a, you know, there's three ways to do it. I think if, if you are not um, sort of bound by the law of it, um, you know, there's the traditional way, which is the, the, the Friday night at sunset to Saturday night. There's the Lord's Sunday, the Lord's day. It could be Sunday. It could be same thing, only Friday night till Saturday night, or it could be any other day where you go, okay, this I can stick to this on a regular. But does this, if it's another day, does the does the rhythm of kind of the seventh day, does that play in? It. I don't think it's the same thing, in my opinion. But I think it's better than not doing it, right? Uh, to me, there is there is significance in 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 the day, right? Uh, but I think it's once you ease into it. I mean, I'll talk about the practicals, but let me let me tell you about the flow of our day normally. So Friday night um, at sunset. Um, before sunset, I race to figure out how do I get as much done as possible. Right. It's preparation, <laughs> you know, day. it's the preparation day. So it actually is more stressful in, in that sense, more more intense. But after doing it for over a decade, it actually is, is not as stressful anymore because you're sort of can plan ahead a little bit better, right? But Friday is usually fairly intense. Uh, but the cool thing is that one of the things that I've read over the years is that the it's not about a it's not even about the time, but it's about the, the natural rhythms of life. So sunset is a natural rhythm of life. So you cannot negotiate with the sun, basically. That's the idea, right? And I, I find that actually intensely meaningful and beautiful. So at sunset, I stop, I cease all production, all work. And I we light a candle, Deb and I, and we say a prayer over the candle. Traditionally, actually, the woman, um, the, 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 the head of the household, um th- that's the prayer so we do it every you know, any other all kinds of ways right but you're deb is supposed to do the prayer right <laughs> and i love that when she does it so so we say a prayer and the idea is to mark to almost like cross the boundary into this place of plenty it's it's a sanctuary in time and to allow yourself spiritually emotionally mentally to draw that line and to step into it, so the, the the lighting of the candle, the prayer, the welcoming of this of this sanctuary in time is massive, uh, has massive importance for me now after practicing this for a while. And then basically the the day is a day of leisure, right? So we sleep in, we don't diet at all, and I watch what I eat, and on that day I just eat what I want. Yeah, you know, so we feast right and we delight in the food because yeah. it's a gift right and we we give all this significance to the things that we do deeper joy deeper enjoyment deeper gratitude and we just sleep in and we make love and we read books that are unproductive so for example like self-help books or business books which i love are not permitted on the Sabbath. Yeah. You know, uh, so I would read fiction in something that I forgot. You know, I've read, I've, I've been rereading things that I've read when I was, you know, in my teens and my college years and <clears throat> savoring it from a completely different perspective. So there's zero sort of production value in reading those books because I've read them before, but just the enjoyment of literature, for example. Enjoyment it sounds of like art. you, it sounds like you curate 
that even a little bit. Yes, go. Hey, I'm going to. I keep, do. I'm going to keep the the temptation for production. I'm going to keep out of this space. Yes, I do. Yes, for sure. So it's basically anything that ele- anything that elevates your soul, right? So it's delighting in art, in poetry, in music, in film. Um, I lo- I go for on long walks. We go together, or sometimes I go alone, and I read, and then we usually. It doesn't happen every Sabbath, but we pick someone we can hang out with and just delight in our friends. Yeah. It could be my mom, right? Or my sister. I usually go see my mom for a few hours and we sit, sit around or bring her to my home and we just reminisce and talk about nothing and play chess or, you know, do whatever. So so it's it's a very lazy day, very leisurely. And, and it's remarkable how if you pay attention to delight as a, as a, as a natural sort of overflow of this, how unusual that feels to delight for yeah. anything, for, for a full day. Like right. it's, you have to get used to the level of joy you experience for a full day because people, people just sort of feel guilty. You know, it was like go, overload of delight, like. <laughs> overload of delight, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's basically a flow of, of, of walks and art and creativity and yeah. movies and food and, and just long conversations about nothing, right? There's no bullet points no, no check boxes to check. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of the day on, on Saturday night, we light a candle and we say a prayer and we mark the beginning of the, the week way into which we overflow now full of inspiration and joy and ideas and energy, right? Yeah. Creative energy. So it's a full 24 hour space. Yes. Yeah marked by you know this this welcoming the the time and and then also you know letting the time depart and going hey like this is that was that was a, that was the time and now we're back kind of back yes. into the real world right um, yes and uh and, and back to the other six days of the week essentially yes Got it. okay well um before we wrap up any advice to someone who's starting to explore this idea of a, of a sabbath rhythm or a practice Yes, my advice is, um, I guess, ask yourself, when you, when you look at your life, ask yourself if your, your life is not perfectly designed for the outcomes you're experiencing. Right. And if you're unhappy, if you're unsatisfied, commit. Commit. So starting is the, is the key thing here. You have to start. And then after you start, be ready to for it to be very hard and not very enjoyable and not very restful and not very delightful. That's a great you pitch. Know, <laughs> yeah, so it just is, right? So it's called, I call it the J curve. I think it's you know where you start over here, and then you actually things get worse before they get better. But then after they, you sort of cross over to the when you started time, it actually becomes exponentially better. Kind of that time. detox, right? That you got to work yeah. through some of that stuff, yeah. You have to go through withdrawal. You have to go through sort of the idolatrous you, the yeah. elements that are that need to be sort of you know released. Um, you need to let go. You need to adjust sort of your culture, your spouse, your you know. So my advice is make sure you, if you're doing this together with your spouse, talk about it extensively. Yeah, because we would have fights on Sabbaths all the time because <clears> I thought what she planned and what she wanted to do messed with my sabbath and she would go excuse me i thought it was our sabbath right and uh, so it's a very selfish sabbath all of a sudden yeah. you know so i'll go well that's not very sabbathy of me right. and um 
so that I think, and then take it easy. Just take it, be embrace, uh, embrace the suck, right? Uh, in the sense of, look, it's it's not, it's just not natural to you. You're you have you're not conditioned for this. You don't have a lifestyle of this. Anything new, it takes a while for it to become a habit, and yeah. and it takes after that a while for it to become a life giving, holy time. You know, yeah. um, so embrace it. Start pick a day, even if you do. Okay, I'm gonna have six hours of sabbath but i'll do it consistently and i'll do it well start there that's fine yeah. you know um so yeah there's all kinds of ways yeah. uh, to do it i mean there's there's a bunch of advice with family families with kids for example right if you're if you're in a community of some sort you know we're in a community in the church community people have birthdays and weddings and all kinds of events and how do you navigate that you know it's um yep. it becomes super super stressful actually uh but you have to make some decisions and stick to your decisions see if it works and then make corrections. Yeah, that's good. That's helpful. Um, well, thanks so much for for unpacking this for us. I look forward to more conversations. I'm sure this has created uh, only more questions for people who are yeah. listening, right? And uh, yeah. hopefully we can get to some of those uh, answers over the next couple of weeks as we talk about this. But uh, I feel like it's a great start and just appreciate your your practice of this and, and some of the stuff you could share with us from that, from your journey. So thanks so much. Thanks for the discussion.